Impelled, Shefford started his horse down the sandy trail, but he checked his former far-reaching gaze. It was the month of April, and the waning sun lost heat and brightness. Long shadows crept down the slope ahead of him, and the scant sage deepened its gray. He watched the lizards shoot like brown streaks across the sand, leaving their slender tracks. He heard the rustle of pack rats as they darted into their brushy homes. The whirr of a low-sailing hawk startled his horse. Like ocean waves, the slope rose and fell, its hollows choked with sand, its ridgetops showing scantier growth of sage and grass and weed. The last ridge was a sand dune, beautifully ribbed and scalloped and lined by the wind, and from its knife-sharp crest a thin, wavering sheet of sand blew, almost like smoke. Shefford wondered why the sand looked red at a distance, for here it seemed almost white. It rippled everywhere, clean and glistening, always leading down. Suddenly Shefford became aware of a house looming out of the bareness of the slope. It dominated that long, white incline, grim, lonely, forbidding, how strangely it harmonized with the surroundings. The structure was octagon-shaped, built of uncut stone, and resembled a fort. There was no door on the sides exposed to Shefford's gaze, but small apertures two-thirds the way up probably served as windows and portholes. The roof appeared to be made of poles covered with red earth. Like a huge cold rock on a wide plain, this house stood there on the windy slope. It was an outpost of the trader Presbury, of whom Shefford had heard at Flagstaff and Tuba. No living thing appeared in the limit of Shefford's vision. He gazed shudderingly at the unwelcoming habitation, at the dark eye-like windows, at the sweep of barren slope merging into the vast red valley at the bold, bleak bluffs. Could anyone live here? The nature of that sinister valley forbade a home there, and the spirit of the place hovered in the silence and space. Shefford thought irresistibly of how his enemies would have consigned him to just such a hell. He thought bitterly and mockingly of the narrow congregation that had proved him a failure in the ministry that had repudiated his ideas of religion and immortality and God that had driven him, at the age of twenty-four, from the calling forced upon him by his people. As a boy he had yearned to make himself an artist. His family had made him a clergyman. Fate had made him a failure. A failure only so far in his life, something urged him to add, for in the lonely days and silent nights of the desert he had experienced a strange birth of hope. Adventure had called him, but it was a vague and spiritual hope, a dream of promise, a nameless attainment that fortified his wilder impulse. As he rode around a corner of the stone house, his horse snorted and stopped. A lean, shaggy pony jumped at sight of him almost displacing a red long-haired blanket that covered an Indian saddle. Quick thuds of hoofs in sand drew Shefford's attention to a corral made of peeled poles, 
and here he saw another pony. Shefford heard subdued voices. He dismounted and walked to an open door. In the dark interior, he dimly described a high counter, a stairway, a pile of bags of flour, blankets, and silver ornamented objects, but the persons he had heard were not in that part of the house. Around another corner of the octagon-shaped wall, he found another open door, and through it saw goatskins and a mound of dirty sheep wool, black and brown and white. It was light in this part of the building. When he crossed the threshold, he was astounded to see a man struggling with a girl, an Indian girl. She was straining back from him, panting and uttering low guttural sounds. The man's face was corded and dark with passion. This scene affected Shefford strangely.